So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome. How are you? How was your January? Did it turn out to be that full-on vegan, no alcohol, ice baths and meditation session you hoped for? Or did your motivation cave in after day five as you succumbed to the guilty pleasures of sloth, greed and gluttony? I think my January was probably somewhere in between, to be fair. I'm chipping away at some of those lifestyle goals But uh, as I mentioned in the 2022 Still Loading episode, I tried some more moderate goals this year and tried to build some consistency around them. Thanks to everyone who wrote in via email or LinkedIn about the neurodiversity episode. It sounds like that's either resonated at a personal level or a team level for quite a few people. So that's great. If you have any specific questions on these important topics, then please don't hold back and getting in touch. Just drop me a note on LinkedIn if that's easiest or hello at sportingedge.com. We're all learning together about some of these critical elements as we try and navigate the future of the workplace. And if I can help in any way to find some specific content that will help you, then I definitely will. The good news is that it seems to be opening up again for our client network, which I'm absolutely thrilled about. We've had inquiries for keynote speeches and leadership events in North Carolina and Spain uh, and a range of new corporate and sports clients are looking to give their leaders access to our digital insights library to inspire them through the various challenges and change initiatives that they've got coming up. So it's all systems go in February and I really hope you're experiencing the same level of optimism and encouragement wherever you're tuning in from today. Well, the Winter Olympics are here again, and today we're going to go inside the mind of a Winter Olympic champion from Vancouver 2010. It's Amy Williams, MBE, and her story is an absolute cracker. Here's a taste of what's to come. My sport is called skeleton, winter sport, and we go down on an ice track, headfirst, on our stomach, on what everyone calls a tea tray. Fear of failure is what drives me, I guess, more than I'm going to win, I'm going to be a legend. I write down personal bests. I have tests all the time. You have to reach certain targets and goals. And every day, every week, you can see improvements. The feelings I had when when you walk into that opening ceremony, for example, as Team Great Britain, underneath that flag that's walking out there in front of you, 
was like an enormous sense of pride and the emotions that welled up inside of you as you walked around that stadium was huge. And I stood there and I just thought, right, I'm here, I'm at the Olympics. This is my dream. I've got to enjoy this. Let's go out there and just give the best I can. So let's dive straight into it. We hear so much about the torrent of records and achievements that our Olympians amass, but we rarely get to hear much about their story upstream, the trickles which gain momentum into the streams of success. As Amy now describes, her extraordinary achievements can be tracked back to some very ordinary beginnings. I was always a really, really active child. My parents were very much go out there, get in the garden, do things, no TV growing up, no computer games. And so we would all go as a family swimming once, twice a week, which got us into swimming and competing in swimming competitions from a young age. And then it would be, you know, just being outdoors, being active, being at school, wanting to take part in every single sport. So I was on, you know, the netball club, doing netball tournaments, hockey, again, swimming in the, in the school, you know, you name it, and I did it. Um, really loved sport. And I guess it was probably when I was about 15, um, I then joined an athletics club, which was just twice a week, you know, uh, Tuesday, Thursday nights. Off I would go in the evenings and do athletics. And that was where my real passion for sprinting, running came from. Um, again, did a bit of everything, did a bit of pole vault at one point, some hurdles, until I honed in on the kind of sprint distances. And it just sort of came from there, that kind of need to get quicker and better competitions nearly every weekend that my coach would drive me to, or my parents. And then I guess the training up from there, I'd train on a, on a Sunday as well. And I think that kind of need to always improve just naturally came. Uh, and then I think I got, I got to the point that I just knew hang on a minute, at my age, there's girls who are a lot better than me now. And I felt I couldn't quite compete. Uh, also had like a lot of injuries, a lot of bad shin problems. And I, I just sort of got to a point in my head that I suddenly hit a wall of being injured all the time and knowing that there were girls who were a lot quicker than me. And that's where I was like, right, I've got to do something else. Let's find another sport. Maybe this isn't my sport that I meant to do which is where, living in Bath, I stumbled across this strange little skeleton track <laughs> at the bottom of some playing fields and just basically gave that a go with someone that I just got chatting to in the gym. Um, and, and that, I guess, naturally just became a sport that I became interested in and that need to become better and better. Yeah, I guess the sport kind of found me just from being in the right place, right, right time. What I love about this insight is that it was a case of sixth or seventh time lucky for Amy. She tried netball, hockey, athletics, pole vault, hurdles, sprinting, and eventually, after not being fast enough for that out-and-out -out speed game, Skeleton found her. I think this is a great message for parents. We all want our kids to thrive, but I've seen so many parents who push their kids to specialise so early. Little Johnny or Jemima are locked into football or swimming from the age of eight. Although it's nice to say that they're in the county squad for under-11s, that should only be part of the journey in my view. 
Kids can learn so much from being involved in different sports, different movement patterns, hand-eye coordination, using a stick, a racket, a bat, or their balance in ballet or martial arts. All of these varied experiences are developing their physical literacy in the same way that speaking, reading, listening and writing from different stimulus is developing their academic literacy. And at this early age, it's great to have all these general experiences to build out that rounded physical literacy. The second element that I loved was that Amy modestly said that the sport of skeleton found her. Well, it's a nice romantic idea, but I'm not sure it's wholly true. Talent needs opportunity in order to ignite its potential. So skeleton didn't find her sitting, eating crisps on the sofa. She was trialing, learning, failing and choosing from a wide range of options, which eventually led her to a sport which would change her life. How many of us and our children have stopped exploring, stopped tasting, stopped sampling these different experiences in life? It's a great lesson for lifelong exploration to continue. We never know what the next option is going to bring. So when we think of the Winter Olympics, a muddy sports field in Bath isn't the first location that springs to mind. After all, it's not famed for its blizzards. But through her craving for competition and achievement, that's what led her to skeleton. For those who aren't familiar with this crazy sport, Amy now gives us a beginner's guide as to what's involved. My sport is called skeleton, a winter sport, and we go down on an ice track head first on our stomach on what everyone calls a tea tray, but it's actually a sophisticated bit of equipment called a skeleton sled. And the aim is to sprint, push the sled as fast as possible, get onto the sled, load onto the sled, and then drive the sled down a course, which could be anywhere from 14 to 19 corners. And you get two, two goes and the times are added up and the fastest person wins. So just imagine you're at the top of an ice tunnel dressed only in a lycra suit and as you sprint as fast as you can you then jump down onto this steel tray and steer it around these rapid bends as gravity hurtles you around the course which is 1500 meters long and you're traveling at over 130 kilometers an hour and experiencing 5 g's of acceleration. Sounds pretty crazy to me. Now, for most people listening, I'm sure even getting into a full length lycra suit can be seen as a treacherous experience, let alone throwing yourself down a mountain in it. In fact, you might have seen the viral footage of Gillian Cook, who had a significant wardrobe malfunction, shall we say, at the World Championships in Switzerland. And if you saw that, you'd probably never step into lycra again. But Amy was competitive, focused and courageous. And once again, she was new into this sport. It was all about chasing her dreams. And in Skeleton, she could see her progress straight away. I really enjoy, you know, knowing that I'm improving, seeing improvements. I'm, I think as an athlete, you, you become very good at writing things down. I write down personal bests. I have tests all the time. You have to reach certain targets and goals and Every day, every week, you can see improvements. Am I getting stronger in the gym? Can I lift more weight? Can I not? Um, and yeah, it becomes this 
for me, I guess over the last years, particularly before Olympics, it, it complete obsession. When you when I first started skeleton, the first time I went down and you got a time at the end of the track, and I looked at it and I thought, hmm, can I go quicker? Yes or no? And then you get back to the top of the track and you go down, and maybe you did or maybe you didn't get quicker. And then the next person goes down and they've got a better time than you. And, and then that's it. You, you're like, oh, well, I can go down quicker then if that person can. And I guess that's just where it grows from. And, and then, you know, if you dedicate your life to it, then it is always about improving and, and, and striving to become better and better. So we've heard that Amy had a drive to compete and achieve and Skeleton became the perfect vehicle for her motivation and focus. She could train hard, learn new skills and see tangible evidence on the stopwatch to show whether she was improving or not. I don't think you'll ever hear a story where somebody's made it to the very top of their field and it's happened effortlessly for them. Every one of them will have experienced setbacks and periods of adversity that have to be navigated along the way. For Amy, like many people, her own mindset was one of those barriers. While we can all strengthen our arms and legs, if we don't tackle some of the negative voices that are holding us back, then we'll just under-deliver against our potential. And what's worse, we'll carry the regret that the only person to blame was ourselves. Fear of failure is an interesting beast because it can add fire and drive to our work ethic and preparation to ensure we don't fail. But as we get closer to competition, we really need to replace it with self-belief and self-trust so that we can relax enough to let our skills shine through. Amy had to confront this fear of failure and reprogram her mindset to achieve the ultimate goal. For me, I think... I am, um, I'm more on, the, yeah, fear of failure is what drives me, I guess, more than I'm going to win, I'm going to be a legend. I have not got as much confidence as I'd want and it's something that I've tried to work on and I would always stand on the start line on a race day thinking, oh, I know I'm not going to be able to do as well as I've done in training because that's just what always happened for me. Every single race, I would always get a worse position than I had done in my training. And I just found it so frustrating and obviously my coaches found it frustrating and, you know, I'd get finished and think, oh, oh, well, didn't do as well again. And it's hard to then, I guess, cope with that because that's when you know physically you're better than everyone, but you can't quite get it out. And that fear of failure is a massive thing to try and get through and, and work through which is where, you know, working with a psychologist and trying to think about a race differently is really important, but can take a long, long time to get through. Our brain creates habits and patterns that get repeated time after time. And these are put in place to protect us. But if the things we say to ourselves are negative, then we're ultimately repeating something that's going to set ourselves up to fail we start to create these neural pathways in our brain which actually dictate our response to future opportunities. So learning the mental skills to reframe these limiting beliefs is absolutely essential if we're going to enjoy our success. And I say enjoy our success because enjoyment has to be as important as the winning. If we can't enjoy striving and performing, what's the point? 
to me, the definition of success has to have some enjoyment in it. What's the point of being miserable with a massive trophy cabinet? I think we often discount our own enjoyment of the journey and the quest to meet everyone else's expectations. I've met lots of champions who say that the first emotion that they feel after winning a major trophy was relief. Not ecstasy, not elation, not freedom, relief. Like the burden of expectation has suddenly been lifted for that moment. So a key part of the winning mindset is turning that inner voice into a helpful coach rather than just remaining as a negative critic. If this resonates with you in your career and you'd like some help, we've developed an amazing programme which lasts for 30 days and it's called The Winning Mindset. Every year we run four cohorts and I help a group of ambitious entrepreneurs, coaches and executives that enrol to develop the six key skills of the winning mindset that we've seen in all the successful people that we've interviewed. The ability to handle pressure, to stay focused, to retain their confidence, to improve their well-being and personal productivity. When you join, you'll get access to our incredible faculty of experts, including Mo Farah, leading sleep experts, leading neuroscientists and athletes like Amy sharing their strategies. So here's a little more about how you can join our next cohort. Performing like a pro starts by thinking like one. The Winning Mindset is a pioneering digital coaching program from Sporting Edge. You'll have access to world-class thinkers and performers who'll inspire you with daily five-minute micro-lessons to boost your confidence, resilience, and well-being. You'll learn from Olympians, neuroscientists, productivity, and well-being experts with bite-sized strategies to help you raise your game. The Winning Mindset. Find out more at www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. So we've had around a thousand delegates and global companies enroll their sales teams and every cohort that we've taken through this transformational 30-day program has seen massive results in their mindset, their well-being and their career success. I guess it's up to us to decide when we take control of our own mindset. And if you want this year to be the one that you attack your opportunities and think about things differently, then I'd love to help you. So check out our digital coaching programs at sportingedge.com. One of the key mental skills we cover in that program is resilience. And as we track Amy's career progress, she'd need to overcome the inevitable setbacks that anyone would experience on the long and steep path to mastery. For her, that was a number of significant injuries which came at a time when she could least afford them. I've had a lot of different little setbacks, some big, some small. For an athlete and for me, I found getting a bad injury was a massive one. It was actually a year and a half, or just under two years, I had a, a knee operation before the Olympics. And all of a sudden, there I was on crutches, not being able to move, not being able to train. All the other girls were around me, training really, really hard. And it's a really hard thing to cope with when you're still alongside them in the gym, but there you are, you can't even walk up and down the stairs. But yet, you, you do get through it. 
and you know with the help of all the goal setting and your coach being supportive you get through it and then all of a sudden you're back to being in full fitness I then um, the season before the Olympics had another injury a really bad crash on um, on a track and straight away you're like oh, I'm not going to get through it everyone else is going to move on but you do you just have to think backwards hang on I've been this through this before and I popped out the other end fine just as strong and that gives you the confidence to know that you can get through it um, you know whether it's then same as in your work that you you change positions in a job or you change jobs completely and the dauntingness of it and that kind of scariness of how am I going to do this and just going back a few steps whether it's a year two years last month or you know longer shorter that you've had similar situations and you you need to use that as as confidence to know that you can get through it you did it before there's a certain process of that and you know you'll get through it again and you'll probably be an even stronger person than you were the first time. And I, I, I've had that before and it's tough at the time, but if you know you will pop out the other end and you always do, it will always be for the better and for the stronger, stronger person that you'll become. So it would have been easy for Amy to think that her hopes had been shattered, but she regrouped and thought back to those times of adversity and slowly started to move forward step by step. It's this belief that we can recover from a fall which defines truly resilient people. Playing the victim is fine for a day or two, but that's a lose-lose situation if it lasts for a long time. If you've been let down by somebody or you've lost your job or your business has crashed through the pandemic, let's take inspiration from Amy's approach. To reframe the setback, to judge ourselves on how we respond from the setback rather than letting it define us. And the fact that we can move forward one day at a time, doing the right thing we need to do to get our pride and satisfaction back. We've done it before in our lives, whether it's at school or university or in a previous job or with our well-being. But these setbacks don't define us. We can learn from them and get this post-traumatic growth that actually comes from some of these setbacks as we learn that we've got more and more capability than we ever thought possible. We seem very quick as a society to compare each other's achievements, but I'm always massively inspired by people's character. When people dig in and transform their body, their mind or their business over an extended period of time, to me that deserves huge credit. And that's the discipline and character it takes is so special. At this time, while Amy saw her rivals lifting weights and training hard, it would have been so easy for us to lose heart. But she stayed focused on her own journey and climbed her way back to full fitness and grew in her mental toughness as a result. The ability to take motivation from their end goal of winning a medal or being Olympic champion is a great reference point, but that's not where champions focus. They invest way more energy on the daily steps, the key strategies and the brilliant basics that they need to be in place to achieve their best game. It's this process focus which insulates champions away from the emotional highs and lows of the hype and the outcome back into the process. This mental skill is useful not only in recovering from injuries, but also 
as the competition reaches its pressurised climax, as Amy now explains. And so we all kind of knew someone had to bring home a medal. And I suddenly thought, oh, actually, it looks like it could or should be me. Uh, so I went home the, the night before the Olympics, home to the Olympic village, and I thought, oh, OK, this is going to have to be me. But I also knew from the work I had done with my psychologist that you, if you focus too much on that end goal, you won't get it. You've got to just go back to basics, you know, know what you do in your training, know what you do every day that works. And for me, I was like, OK, I'll focus on that. I'll focus on that process. Otherwise, I won't get that outcome goal. And yeah, it, it worked. You've got to forget the end result. And even halfway through the race, when I was in that first position, I still didn't even let myself think about it. I thought, no, you're only going to get it if you just focus on what you have to do to get it. And um, it shows, yeah, it really shows the importance of that. So let's imagine translating this principle across into business and getting so flustered about whether we're going to hit our annual sales target or not that we take our eye off our sales pipeline, we make less calls for new business and forget how to follow up. These brilliant basics for a salesperson, if delivered day in, day out, is what delivers the dream. Not sitting back worrying about whether we're going to fail or whether we're going to get you know, a big bonus and we get complacent because we think all the deals are in the bag. Ambitious goals backed up with disciplined process is a winning combination. Whatever field we're operating in, discipline and repetition are the key to success. Now we're releasing this episode as our New Year's resolutions are starting to crumble. So the idea of great eating, great exercise or great business habits was nice for a while, but turning that into a way of life is a different thing altogether. Amy explains the level of focus and determination that she had in the run-up to her gold medal. And as we now hear, that comes with huge sacrifice. As a person, I don't think I'm any different than anyone else. I don't view myself as, you know, superhuman or anything. I think the reason, I guess, athletes or, or people who are at the, the very highest level of what they do is because they set themselves goals, they tell themselves they're going to do something, and then they go and do it. It's, you know, you're not going to cheat on yourself and, and miss out a few things. If it's something as simple as, I'm going to go to the gym and I've got three sets of 10 squats, I'm not going to do three sets of 10, or, or the first two sets on 10, and then actually I'm a bit tired, I'm only going to do eight on the last two. You know, I will do then 10. If I tell myself to go to bed every single night, 10 o'clock, turn off my light, I will do it. And yeah, I think people found it quite funny when I, I was asked to go on the Jonathan Ross show straight away after Olympics. And I had to admit that I'd never ever watched it before because it starts at 10 o'clock. It's what, Friday night, 10 o'clock or was. And I had never watched it because I'm always in bed that time. And yeah, it's sort of funny, I guess, at the time. But for me, it was all about making sacrifices every single day of my life simple things to some people and you might brush it off. Oh, it doesn't matter if I go out that night or the night after, one late night or two late nights isn't gonna matter. But actually it is. And knowing myself that I had stuck to my own goals and told myself to, to do what I was gonna do, 
then again gives you that mental toughness and that strength to keep going and, and know that you're going to achieve and get your goal because you told yourself you were going to do it and, and you go and do it. So imagine being that disciplined around our bedtime, our diet, our savings and our exercise routine. Where would that take us? What would our business, our body and our bank account look like if we had this level of sustained discipline for six months? By enduring these micro moments of pain and sacrifice, the champions are rewarded with a lifetime of pride as they stand on the podium and don't have an ounce of regret. It's easy to call our Olympic medalists naturally gifted and talented, but that excuses us of replicating their main attribute, personal discipline. Amy started to believe that she could win because of the sacrifices that she was making. And while the TV shows and drinks with her friends one night would have been nice, she knew that cutting corners and compromising here and there would have eroded her all-important belief. So as the timeline clicked down to Judgment Day on the icy slopes of Vancouver, Amy needed to manage the cocktail of excitement and pressure that she was feeling and turn it into a positive energy that could help her to deliver her very best performance. There was a, a really big um, emotional attachment to being at the Olympics, representing your country. The feelings I had when you, when you walk into that opening ceremony, for example, as Team Great Britain, underneath that flag that's walking out there in front of you, was like an enormous sense of pride and the emotions that welled up inside of you as you walked around that stadium was huge. And that's when you did feel like, wow, Great Britain are there behind me, watching me. I'm out here doing this for them. I'm out here representing and doing this for my country. Almost on the flip side, then when you are on the start line and you're about to race, you suddenly feel the pressure of it. You suddenly feel, or well, whoever was up at 2 a.m. in the morning was there sat watching and you had to do it for them. And then it kind of flipped into that, whoa, this is enormous what I'm about to do. I am now doing this for everyone else who can't stand here and do it. You know, you just had to kind of, uh, for me, see it as a positive and see it as I'm good enough to be part of this team. I'm good enough to be picked and selected to stand here. So again, I'm going to go off and do my very best. And no matter what that is, you know, you expect and hope that Great Britain would still be proud of you because you're there in the first place. Well, the fans will definitely be proud of athletes that try their best, but they're even more proud of you when you win. So as the opening ceremony closed, it was time to make every second count before her moment of truth arrived. As she now explains, skeleton athletes aren't given a free access to the slopes for the week before the Games. Imagine the carnage if a perfectionist athlete was checking the geometry of corner nine with their notebook as their rival flew down the track on one of their practice runs. So they're given a limited time for a track walk and six practice runs. So another key mental skill comes in, visualisation. Because we only get these six runs to learn a track, we have to think of other ways that we can get the tracks in our head and to improve without physically going down. 
We can do track walks um, down the track. And so we walk them before training with our coach and looking at every single corner, going through it, writing notes. And I'll go into a corner, I'll then shut my eyes and visualize and see that corner in my head, how I want to go in it. And as I said, bit to the left, bit to the right. I'll sometimes lie down on the track, hopefully without sliding down. And again, just getting that image and picture that I'm always taking a photograph within my own head. So I can shut my eyes now and I can go through and see every single corner of every track in the world. And you just kind of log it away. So I can be sat in my hotel room that night. I can read my track notes. I can, if I want to lie on the floor or even lie on my sled in my room and then go through the track. And so then for me, when I'm actually physically going down the track, it's more familiar. It's, yeah, it's something that you're not allowed just to take a few extra runs, but it's, it's already in your head because you've had that skill of, of seeing it. And, you know, I guess you go down 50 times in your head and six times realistically, and that's going to probably give you better results than if you didn't go down it in your head. It's a skill, but it's a really important one. OK, let's try this out. Wherever you are, walking the dog, on a train, I'm not bothered. I want you to lie down, hit the deck and close your eyes and imagine you're on the ice. I'm only joking. People will think you're an absolute muppet trying that. But there's truth in what Amy says. Visualisation is a massive skill that we can learn ahead of exams, presentations, interviews or whatever. It gives us a chance to simulate what we're going to face and we can see ourselves navigating the various challenges in slow motion. As a British Winter Olympian, she didn't have access to the course on her doorstep, so immersing herself in every bump and angle of the track would sharpen her decision-making in the final run when it really counted. A few years ago, I had the privilege of interviewing cyclist Mark Cavendish, and he said exactly the same thing. He actually went round the course of the Tour de France with a GoPro and somebody filmed it and he lay in bed the night before the stage looking at the detail of the cobbles on one side of a roundabout versus the other so he knew under pressure which way was going to be the fastest in dry weather or in the rain. So the athletes have got this incredible ability to run these dress rehearsals in their mind so that when they get into those pressurised moments they can come up with a considered response and make the best choices. And I think we can definitely use more of this in the business world as well. So let's picture the scene. You've been training for years for this moment. It's all you've ever dreamt about. And it's always seemed so far away, but now it's here. You're standing, looking down that shimmering white tube. Your knees are trembling. You feel cold, your breath steaming and your head is starting to whir. The moment has arrived and you've got to control yourself. You've got to control your mind and control your body. Amy walks us through these critical moments where I'm sure for her, time stood still. When I was on the start line at the Olympics on that final run, lots of people always asked me what I was thinking. And it's, it's a kind of easy one and difficult one to say, I basically stood there with my helmet on and my coach was holding my sled. I always give him a little smile through my helmet and I looked around 
and I just looked at the view. The view at the top of the track is amazing. I tried to kind of blank out all the crowd and the people and I stood there and I just thought, right, I'm here, I'm at the Olympics. This is my dream. I've got to enjoy this. Let's go out there and just give the best I can. I then quickly, you know, change your mind to what you're doing. I had goals for my start, how I was going to push, how I was going to push off the block, had goals of how I was going to load. And then I was just thinking about certain corners. I was shutting my eyes. I was just going through a few tricky corners in my head. And, um, and that was it. I was like, right, I've got to enjoy this. Go down and don't have any regrets about anything. Going through my little tip box. Yep, done everything. Whatever happens now is always going to be my very best. And, you know, that was it. Put my sled down and, and pushed as hard as I could. Well, not only did Amy push her sled as hard as she could, but I think she also pushed herself as hard as she could. And that's what ultimately allowed her to achieve her dream. On that icy 2010 night in Vancouver, she flew down the Whistler track and beat the two German girls to gold. She made history and in turn inspired thousands of young girls to chase their own dreams. Amy's story is so inspirational and I really hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed creating it. I've added the footage of Amy's final gold medal run into the show notes so please take a moment to watch that and reconnect with the celebrations. I hope you enjoy the Winter Olympics and if I can help you or your business in any way please don't hesitate to get in touch via hello at sportingedge.com. Thanks for listening, for subscribing and sharing the show in your networks. And until next time, grease up your sled and let's give it a big push. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.